Welcome back to Bespin Ice Cream Stand. I'm your host, Josh O'Rourke, and with me as always, he looks like a walking corpse. He isn't even that old. It is more as if something is slowly eating him. Bennett Campbell Ferguson. What line is that in, in Shadows of the Empire? I, I, I can't remember. I took it I took it from page one. I uh, was trying to think of something iconic, and I thought that was so gross. <laughs> it's super gross. What is, are they talking about the Emperor or, or Vader? Or? Yeah, yeah. It's the opening scene where, like, Shizor is, is watching the Emperor talking to okay. Vader. I, I love the idea, though, how he, how he mentions he's not even that old. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I guess he's probably in his 40s, but just looks 300. <laughs> Oh gosh, I love it. That's great. And it's great to be back, by the way, uh, starting a, a, a new season. I've missed this. Yeah, it's been a minute. Uh, what's new and exciting since the uh, the break is over? <laughs> oh gosh, I, I mean, just, you know, trying to immerse myself, uh, not only in this book, but in, in the whole expanded universe, since we're going to be tackling uh, a lot of that. And it, it's a fun trip down memory lane, because most of these books... In the EU, I hadn't read since I was like in, in elementary school or or middle school. So the the in a lot of the ways, it feels like I'm reading them for the for the the first time and kind of a, appreciating them for the first time. And and, and uh, it, you gave me that uh, amazing amazing special edition of Heir to the Empire. So I've been spending you know the interim between seasons of Bestman Ice Cream Stand geeking out over Timothy Zahn's footnotes. So, <laughs> <laughs> Would you say in general that your memory of, of the EU uh, is, is that they're better or worse than they actually are? You know, I, I think it depends. Um, it's, it, it's, it's very tough because I mean, definitely, you know, there are, there's some aspects that are, are worse and we, we'll get in, of those i'm i'm sure but then there are some things that i just didn't uh appreciate as as a kid really like i i mean i think a great example is the the thrawn trilogy like i don't think i realized when i was young that it, it was is kind of dry and could use a bit more heart but then at the same time when i was young i didn't appreciate like the intricacy of timothy zahn's plotting and, and how well uh thought out all of you know grand admiral thrawn's uh, and Talon Card's schemes are. So, I mean, it, it's definitely uh, a, a trade-off. I think looking at these, looking at the the novels, especially as as an older reader, you know, uh, you're, it, it's, it's kind of, it's like, well, some things have not aged, and uh, some things it's like, oh, that's way better than I ever realized. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. It's very mixed. I think in general, like the books aren't like my bag. I, I think because Star Wars is like action, it, it doesn't translate for me as well as prose. It, it seems a little like, um, I don't want to say formulaic, but just sort of um, dry. You know, it, it doesn't quite come to life in a lot of these books, including the one we're about to talk about. Yeah, I think that's that's totally fair. I mean, that's why it's kind of amazing how well some of the best uh the best best comics age like i i recently reread dark empire one and then i'm like god damn it i'm done i want to read it again and i did and enjoyed it just as much i reread it like <laughs> twice 
Wow. Like you finished and you had to read it again? I know, I know. It sounds it sounds insane, but it was uh, it was a lot of fun and I think I think the comics and the movies like they're so they're so aligned because you know, a space battle or a lightsaber duo really can uh you know, work well in in a comic book, you know, being a visual medium whereas like seeing like in a book kind of like a blow by blow account of like an X-wing fighter battle that you can't see is a little bit like Okay, wrap it up, wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. It's definitely a, a visual medium. So today we're talking about Shadows of the Empire. Released in 1996, one year before the special edition trilogy, Shadows struck at the perfect time, when Star Wars was back in the mainstream. Episode 1 would begin filming one year later in the summer. But Shadows of the Empire, which came first, served as a trial run for marketing Star Wars with a new generation. It was pitched as a movie without a movie. So there was a comic, a video game, a soundtrack, a book, and a lot of merchandise. Now, you told me you um, you owned the CD before. Did you own any other merch from uh, Shadows? Yeah, I, I did. The, there were, well, there's a place I used to go to. It's not open anymore, but it's called Shadow House collectibles fitting and that was where i got my first star wars action figures i got a, a two-pack with boba fett and ig88 and an issue of the shadows of the empire comic book and and that particular issue is uh about you know boba fett and kind of the the struggles to bring hans on and carbonite all the way to tatooine i think he runs into ig88 and you know then he has to stop over on another planet, and there's, there's all kinds of shenanigans. It's it's a fun little yarn, and but I always enjoy playing with those uh, those toys. You know, it was great to great to have Boba fucking Fett. Boba fucking Fett. Bam bam Should change his name to DJ Boba Fett for sure. Oh yeah, and that was uh, so. Th- yeah, I mean that that was always really kind of a, a sort of special. Uh, special purchase for me since that was my entry into star wars action figures and and shocker those uh old shadows toys were so much better made than like the crap that came out during the prequel era so my friend had a dash rindar action figure and i remember being like super jealous of that um i i recall having the chewbacca in bounty hunter disguise and I also had luke in a uh i forget what the disguise was but it was a shadows of the empire disguise thing you gotta look that up oh he's like a, you know like a red sort of guard possibly, yeah right? yeah i keep wanting to say uh, gamorian guard obviously that's not right <laughs> although that would be funny to see luke as a gamorian that'd be pretty cool <laughs> yeah i guess it's uh luke in imperial guard disguise and you can like take the helmet off and stuff but um yeah i remember having that action figure and thinking it was the shit because it was i had a couple of well, a couple other things about Shadows merch that I wanted to talk about. Uh, well, one one thing I really liked about my Boba Fett was that uh, you could take the jetpack and the cape off, which <laughs> sounds like a stupid thing to be excited about, but it uh, really made my day as a kid. And also, I I I, I still have this. I think I had a a, a swoop with one of the the, the swoop pilot. Oh, nice hunter dudes. That was a uh, that was always really fun because just the. Those swoops are so big and cool, and I love that they're red and kind of like, uh, you know, more 
muscular than a typical speeder bike, like the ones we saw in Return of the Jedi. So that was, I don't know if like swoops were first introduced in Shadows, but I think they were a cool addition to the the lore whenever they came into the picture. Yeah, that's my understanding is they came out in Shadows and then they uh, brought them back, I think, for Solo. Oh. Yeah, I think I think there is a scene. Is it Solo? God. I'm trying to remember. Spoiler alert. Um, next month, we're going to do a solo episode. <laughs> so I'll actually have an answer that time. But I'm Yay. pretty sure once I watch it again, uh, uh, I could reference it a little more wisely, a little more sagely. I don't know what I'm talking about. All right. Well, let's get into it. So we're going to talk about Shadows of the Empire's video game, book, comic, and merchandise. Uh, I think it's only fitting we start with the book. So uh, I know normally we, we don't do this for merchandise, but if you were to give a four-star rating to Shadows of the Empire, what would you give it, Ben? Oh, gosh. I, I feel really mean saying this, but I, I think I'd have to give it the book uh, like a one-and-a-half-star rating. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I'd say as well. I didn't want to be mean enough to give it a one. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, it, it's a pretty rough read. To be be honest, and I, you know, I'm not really that familiar with Steve Perry's uh, other work. I, although I know he's got, you know, a lot of other interesting credits, like um, being involved with Batman the animated series. But I mean, judging by this book, at least, he has a lot of weaknesses as a writer. Uh, he just he just tends to not, you know, write things in very interesting ways, and and uh, and like. I think like one of the things that Star Wars books will often do is, you know, they'll they'll try to create a villain who's sort of more suited to literature. You know, a villain who's less about you know brute force and super weapons and more about kind of you know intricate plotting and and outthinking the opponent. And in the case of Prince Chizor, it was an attempt to do that in a way. He almost seems like a version of Grand Admiral Thrawn, but he's just not nearly as. Uh, as interesting and his, uh, his evil plans are not as interesting. And also just, I mean, just getting back in general to the bad writing, I, uh, I picked out a couple lines that I want to read that are <laughs> kind of accidentally funny. Oh my. This is, uh, Leia talking. They all liked Luke. There was something about him that seemed so natural and so attractive. Maybe it was the force flowing through him. Maybe it was because he seemed like such a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what to do with that <laughs> it's like like luke seems like a nice person uh steve perry you ever heard of a thesaurus you know but uh these these other two lines i want to read they're they're even better okay this this is what i call the uh the that's what she said uh a roundup of shadows of the empire lines oh no so this is so uh this is from chapter 16 Luke nearly dropped the container of cold water he held. Black Sun, is she out of her mind? Dash smirked. Oh, you're an expert on them, are you? No, but I talked to Han a lot while we were cooped up on Hoth during, during the cold, stormy nights. <laughs> Which, uh, there's, nice. uh, there's some slash fiction for you right there. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's get into that. <laughs> also, a couple pages later, Dash says... Money is the lube that makes all things move. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. doesn't do it for me, man. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And that was uh, in that was in you into a corner with Ben. <laughs> it's just, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, I mock this stuff with a with affection because a lot of the stuff is is kind of you know charmingly bad. But uh, I, I think you, you told me, Josh, this book was written in just like a a couple months, and I think it definitely yeah, I think I, I think it took like, four months. It certainly seems like the book was uh, a rush job, and it could have used some more revisions, probably. But yeah, those those lines you just read are like classic, like first draft lines. Like, of course, that needs to be revised. And the video game itself also feels kind of like a rush job. I think it started off with the best intentions. From what I read, uh, Steve Perry wrote in a four or five page outline of what shadows would be. Then he got it approved by Lucasfilm and then adhered to that. And I think that's really cool. But the thing you touched on, and I think we should get into right now, is that uh, the main driving force of this, pun intended, of this book is Prince Shizor. And it's kind of difficult to create a character that exists in that world, but then doesn't after the book. And I, not to say you can't make a compelling character, but I, I don't think they nailed it with him. What do you think? Yeah, I, I have to agree. I mean, I mean, Shizor, his his journey is just not compelling. I mean, he's he's motivated for by his desire for vengeance against Vader, but but to be perfectly honest, like revenge is not something I ever find you know particularly interesting. Unless it's you know there's some kind of twist on it, and, and and certainly in the case of Star Wars, I mean what's interesting about Star Wars is stories. Star Wars has always been kind of like an anti-vengeance saga. Mm-hmm. So like the, the whole Shizor's you know beef with Vader, like that makes it all seem even more trivial. And the other thing I would say is that I, I think a, a general problem with material in the expanded universe and and I say this as someone who has a, who still thinks the expanded universe has a lot of great things and certainly a lot of, you know, stories that are better than what we've seen in like the sequel trilogy. But I mean, there was a real problem in the EU of of people telling stories where it was just kind of like this thing happens and then this thing happens and then this thing happens. There was often, I think, not a lot of effort to kind of uh, figure out an interesting emotional journey for any of the characters. Mm-hmm. And I think you definitely see that in the shadows of the empire, because to me, the most interesting uh, uh, thing about the period of time between uh, the empire strikes back and return of the Jedi is that Luke has been told that Vader is his father, but he doesn't know whether or not Vader is lying yet. So this is, this is the period of time where he's, he's wrestling with that and unsure of what to believe. And I thought it was really disappointing in shadows that there's just kind of a chapter at the beginning where Luke is like, you know, well, I can't think about that right now because there's nothing I could do about that. And it's like, yeah, no, I've processed please, this emotionally already. It. I'll think about it in another movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. And and I mean, you, Josh, you lent me that um, the really kind of amazing book, Secrets of Shadows of the Empire, which kind of lays mm-hmm. out the the masterminding of this whole multimedia epic, basically. And I noticed that uh, Steve Perry talked about like kind of his his love of of pulp novels and stuff. So I think maybe he was thinking of in those terms. And 
and I get where he's coming from. I mean, Star Wars is pulpy, but at the same time, I mean, the reason why we 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 love it is the characters more than anything else, and the and, and I mean, the novels I think often like struggle to you know depict the characters you know from the movies, and and typically I think the EU characters that have worked out the best are the ones that uh were created specifically for the eu like mara jade so there's i mean but that's a whole separate issue i think in their defense and in all the authors defense these characters they don't have a lot that they're sort of allowed to do you you can't really deviate from the script so much especially if it takes place in between movies because then their emotional journey has to be resolved in a way that doesn't affect the movies too you know yeah yeah that's totally true i mean and that's why I think the sort of post-Return of the Jedi era was such a, a rich tapestry because there was never like any kind of set conclusion that those novels and comics had to work toward. You know, they were free to develop in whatever direction they wanted. You know, whereas like like Shadows is frankly kind of trying to 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 make a meal out of not much. I mean, you and I talked mm-hmm. about this before, Josh. But the idea that uh, Boba Fett, you know, doesn't just go straight to Tatooine after Cloud City and drop off Han <laughs> is totally freaking absurd. Like, how long does it take to make one journey through hyperspace, you know? Like, <laughs> oh, it's absurd. And, and they've definitely capitalized on, uh, on that moment a lot of like, okay, Boba Fett only has one cool thing to do. Let's do another side story. Let's do another comic with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and you, as you mentioned before, you know, the... The comics were more focused on on Boba Fett, and I think you know, like there's a it, certainly. I always think of the expanded universe as kind of like more more pure than kind of a lot of the Star Wars stuff we're, we're getting. Why do you say now, that? But what would you say? Why do you say that? I mean, I think I know why, but but I'd like to I'd like to delve into that a little bit. I think because uh, I mean there there. There's a sense that like like Star Wars now feels you know more more out of obligation like like there's a sense mm-hmm. to me that the sequel trilogy exists because Bob Iger said there had to be a new trilogy and you know it had to come out in in 2015 2017 2019 which is not to say that the expanded universe wasn't about making money because it was but you know I mean there was a sense that you you could be more uh experimental i think you know i mean there there was something very exciting about the fact that timothy zahn could write star wars but but actually make it more like star trek i mean i mean the thrawn trilogy is is basically like like it's star trekified star wars you know or that like oh, a, i think you've opened the can you of know, with dark empire you know tom beach and and cam kennedy can go off and you know yes tell the story of you know the emperor coming back, which is is kind of a, a sort sort of obvious ground to tread, but do it with this crazy psychedelic art that you know makes Star Wars into some kind of acid trip. You know there was a, <laughs> I mean there were real meaningful risks that were were taken with a with a lot of this this material, and it's hard to imagine. Uh, uh, that happening now maybe it's happened in some of the books and comics that i haven't read recently so i if if someone has uh you know encountered something new that is really swinging for the fences i will happily uh 
you know, throw down my lightsaber and uh, and hear them out. Yeah, that's kind of the problem, though, is is there's too much Star Wars now. Like, like I'm a voracious reader, but I I haven't caught up on stuff from the 80s, let alone, you know, the High Republic stuff now. Things that are still being planned or, or things that are going to be released, you know, soon. So my 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 guess is that these new things are done more out of a sense of obligation uh and artistic freedom isn't exactly um i, I suspect the writers don't have the artistic freedom that Steve Zahn or even Steve Perry wait did i say Steve Zahn <laughs> I, 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 you know i would Steve like Zahn. to say Steve Zahn and see <laughs> Steve Zahn Star Wars that would be cool yeah <laughs> i don't know about that <laughs> please make it happen <laughs> But no, um, I, I just feel like Steve Perry, Timothy Zahn, they probably had more artistic freedom, even though there was a committee overseeing everything. Um, I think the committee has only gotten larger and and ruled with more of an iron fist since Disney bought Lucasfilm. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's probably true. And I think that, uh, I, I guess... I don't know. Like, I mean, maybe, maybe too. Like, the 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 prequels are part of the problem as well because there there was something cool about, uh, I, I guess the the freedom to imagine certain things, uh, you know, before the the, the prequels and that, like, you know, for instance, you know, you could you could have a, a Jedi having you know romantic relationships without you know worrying about the a Jedi shall not know anger, nor hatred, nor love. You know, to yeah. quote that Attack of the Clones poster. And so, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not even sure what point I'm trying to make at this point. But, no, I get what you're saying. Uh, what you're trying to say is that they've filled in all these gaps with quote-unquote canon. And so it's harder to deviate from that when when there's a structure in place that Jedi are this way and the Empire did this, and this is what happens after the Empire, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, a great example of this is the uh, the idea, I, I guess, of, uh, of like like spirits in the Force, which which very wisely in the original trilogy, there there were never any you know rules to explain like like how a Jedi can you know live on as a ghost or, or a, should a disembodied there have been. voice. You know, there's and it was it was very like mysterious, and that was part of the idea's power. And the the expanded universe kind of ran with that, and you know dealt with the the spirit of of Exar Kun of the of the Emperor, and and delved into holocrons and, and all kinds of fascinating stuff. But then uh, in one scene, Revenge of the Sith comes in and and kind of screws all that up by saying like. Oh no! Actually, uh, Qui Gon had to do some sort of special procedure to uh, obtain immortality, and it's like a specific thing, you know. Like he has to teach Obi Wan, and so all of a sudden, all this stuff is, is thrown out of whack. Like, what? There are rules for Jedi spirits anymore? <laughs> like, we? I mean, I mean, it's kind of like like midi chlorians thinking. Yeah, it, it demystifies all that cool stuff that you don't really need to over explain. I think that's all I got on the book. I, I will add just one more thing. They also made a junior novelization of Shadows of the Empire, and uh, I couldn't get a hold of it, of course. 
But um, I love the idea that they had to tap into every possible market, and they still do. Um, let's talk about the comics, though. Wait, uh, but but first, though, how do you think in a junior novelization they would have dealt with, like, Shizor and his, his creepiness? <laughs> I think it would have just said, Wait. and then Shizor tried to kiss all the girls. <laughs> it sounds like that sounds like a song you know like and then she's gonna try to kiss all the girls hey i'm in let's start this star wars band man <laughs> please yes um you probably have a little more um basis in this but I've, I've never read the star wars comics i will just say they're out of print because dark horse lost the star wars license years ago um and that they did a six issue series that was more Boba Fett-centered. And then they did a sequel called Shadows of the Empire Evolution. And that one was written <laughs> by Steve Perry. And spoiler alert, if you haven't read Shadows of the Empire, uh, Shizor dies, but apparently survives for this comic book sequel. Really? Oh, that's fascinating. I kind of hate it because it, it's sort of that like Friday, Friday the 13th thing. Where you kind of assume, yeah, they're probably not dead. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 a big believer in in people dying or uh, or uh, or and staying dead, um, unless it's uh, Han in Fast and Furious. He's a he's an exception. Yeah, though, <laughs> did we get justice for Han? We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, one other thing I'll add is uh, the original Shadows of the Empire comic had uh, P. Craig Russell involved, and I couldn't get a hold of the comics to see to what extent. Um, I assume it was just artwork, though. Um, but I thought that was really cool because uh, he has his hands on a lot of projects I really love. So it was cool to see him um, working on Shadows, too. The, I mean, the the issue I, I have, the one that came with my action figures, I got to say the art was really was really good. I mean, it was very, like, kind of gritty and, and, and detailed, and it felt like you could really, like, see the kind of movements and the muscles of the the characters I, I i was pretty impressed with it yeah i'd like to get a hold of it somehow i wonder if like comiXology has it surely somebody is bootlegged it if if not but um yeah I, oh yeah I do they my due to. diligence yeah. <laughs> well yeah then let's go ahead and skip past the comic just know there were six issues it was written by the co-creator of judge dread john wagner who was you know known for action and kicking ass and taking names but uh, i think we should get into the video game which um, was sort of my entry point into this series. Uh, Shadows of the Empire was released on the Nintendo 64 in 1996. The Nintendo 64 launched in the summer of 96, and Shadows came out in December. Um, a PC version came out in 1997 with, well, frankly, some pretty cheesy cutscenes, but uh, it's worth looking up. Um, they're on YouTube, and I highly recommend checking them out. Um, What what I'll say about Shadows of the Empire for the 64, which is what I played it mostly on, is it hasn't really aged well. The game tries to do way too much. It starts as a third, well, it starts as a, you know, a ship, a space shooter on Hoth. Then it's a third person platformer. And then you have a first person uh, on the rail shooter. And the controls are super clunky. And not just because the Nintendo 64 controller is kind of funky. Hey, that rhymed. <laughs> um, so my, my mini review is get the game because it's cheap. Play the Battle of Hoth level. 
play the first two minutes of the next level, realize why it's so bad. Because the the second level is a third-person platformer that just moves so terribly. And, and not just because games have evolved and gotten better, but just the game itself, it's a newer foray into 3D, uh, you know, into a 3D environment. And because of that, um, Dash Rindar just moves really weird, kind of floaty, <laughs> shooting is really hard to do. It just isn't great. And, and, and then also the level design is kind of weird. It doesn't really feel like some of the levels are of Star Wars or are or, or part of the Star Wars world. I mean, you you showed me the the game the other the other week, and it was it was kind of interesting, you know, comparing it to to some of the other Star Wars games we got to play that day, and and you could definitely like feel a, a sense of of clunkiness, and and I, I thought it was it was interesting what you were saying, Josh, about like how kind of the the attempt to make it more cinematic or realistic was actually kind of a a, a a drawback and I have to agree because I, I think my favorite game we played was that one where you know it was it was not super detailed at all it was it just it had that kind of like Atari look of almost like you're, you're just looking at your uh your, your tactical screen in your x-wing fighter and you know seeing lines and yeah and you're talking about stuff. the uh, that, original that the Star Wars arcade game um which was from like 1982 83 um, and if you're lucky and you live in a cool town, um, they made that game with like um, like an immersive sort of box. So you had to go inside the arcade to play it. And that is the coolest shit ever. But uh, I have a Raspberry Pi and I have a bunch of arcade games on it. And so uh, we kind of went through a history of Star Wars video games. Um, and then, yeah, I guess I'll add a couple more things um, about the 64 game. Uh, camera issues are a little rough. Graphics are really blocky looking, even if you have an upconverter and are uh, able to do that on, on your modern TV. Um, what, what I had read, and uh, there's a Game Informer article I'll put in the notes that talks about this, but one of the designers said he regretted having so many genres. He wanted to follow in the footsteps of the Super Star Wars games where there's different styles of gameplay, but they had trouble translating all that to three dimensions. Also, uh, Nintendo clung to the idea of releasing things on cartridges instead of CDs like the PlayStation or Sega Saturn. So the game only had a limited amount of space. That's why the PC version has cutscenes and the Nintendo 64 version doesn't. Um, what else? I wrote like two pages of notes and I'm thinking like, wow, this is all just saying this game isn't that good. <laughs> to sum it, I, I, oh good. Oh well, I actually I have a question. Yeah. Um, because because you and I were 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 taking a look at that that level where where Dash is inside Echo Base, and maybe you can clear this up for me. Like I, I don't really understand like like what Dash is supposed to be doing on on Hoth exactly. Like like how does that fit in the continuity? Like he was around and. They're, they're talking, you know, yeah, in, in the game, Han is leaving, and he runs in the dash, and he's like, Hey, buddy, I love you, because you're a great character. You're a Mary Sue, except you have a beard. <laughs> I don't think he has a beard. <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> um, I, I don't know, man. In the spiritual sense. They needed to have a Hoth level, so Dash Rindar had to be there. <laughs> 
That that's my that's my shitty answer. Uh, my real <laughs> that, answer. I mean that that. That that that's a that's a good enough explanation for me, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean that's another thing we haven't really talked about. Uh, Dash Rindar is the main character of the video game, and you know plays a big part in all the different iterations of Shadows of the Empire. Uh, he is exactly Han Solo. They didn't really make him different. They just made him Han Solo with deeper issues, and that that didn't really work for me. I thought he was cool when I was in seventh grade, but. Now it's just like I wish we had Han Solo. Why even bother with him? Yeah, I mean that's a great way to put it because I, I mean as as a as a kid, definitely I had the same experience, which is that I thought Dash Rendar was the coolest and the Outrider was an amazing spaceship and all that stuff. <laughs> it is still amazing. But, and and oh, go ahead. But yeah, but in, in retrospect, it kind of seems like oh, we don't have to, uh, we don't have Han, so we kind of have to like basically Xerox him and. And put Han in with a a different name, and and to me, uh, that's kind of a missed opportunity because I feel like another thing that's interesting about the the time between Empire and Jedi is that Han's not there, and, and yes, he's a great character, and, and we miss him. But at the same time, it's kind of you know interesting to you know explore uh, uh, Luke and Han. Or, uh, excuse me, Luke and Leia and R2 and 3PO and, and Lando uh, without Han in the, the mix. And this was something like the, the Marvel comics from the early 80s did uh, really well because they they going to wait for a motorcycle to go by. <laughs> cool. Oh, wait, what is a, a motorcycle? It's just a really loud Toyota. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> So, but, but yeah, like the the Marvel comics from the early '80s, they did a really good job, like kind of exploring how, uh, like, it's a little bit of a journey for uh, Luke and Leia learning to trust Lando after what he did to Han, and um, uh, Leia's incredibly lonely, having started this relationship with Han, and now he's out of her life, and I mean, that's really rich, kind of fertile territory. And you don't really get to explore that if, if just like another version of Han is there. It's like lose a scoundrel, find a scoundrel. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but uh, his ship is awesome. I think we can all agree the Outrider oh, is yes. like one of the coolest ships ever. Absolutely, yeah. And supposedly it's in the special edition of A New Hope. Yes, yeah. It's uh, the Moss Eisley scene. You can kind of see it. That's so cool. I, I, it's kind of hard to see because it's out of the way but if you have the blu-ray you can pause it and see it and it's very exciting also you can see uh prince shizor in the episode one pod racing scene he uh is a micro machine character or a toy that's awesome <laughs> so in a way he's canon <laughs> uh one more thing i'll say about the video game and then we'll get out of this video game segment um when the game was being developed, the Nintendo 64 controller was so under wraps that they had to uh, Nintendo place the N64 controller in a box, and the game designers had to put their hands into holes on the side to play it, but they couldn't actually see it, which I think is absurd. Um, and w one time, Shigeru Miyamoto, who created Mario and Donkey Kong and Pikmin and a million other things we love... Um, took a look at some of the uh, the footage uh, that they were working on for Shadows of the Empire, uh, and apparently he wasn't impressed with the animation. 
and he said to show Dash Rindar's feet because Miyamoto was working on Mario 64 and wanted Mario's, or, you know, had Mario's feet showing. Uh, but that's terrible advice for a shooter because then it makes it way harder to aim and way harder to control. So, um, just bad advice, you know. <laughs> uh, obviously, 3D gaming was kind of newish, so people were still learning. And and you can tell because there's so many bad 3D games, especially the first few years of of the Nintendo 64, the Saturn, and the PlayStation. But having said that, I own the game. I love the game. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. There are parts of it I really like. So I would recommend getting the cheat code where you can skip levels. Play the Hoth level. Play the Swoop Bike level, which is a little frustrating. You can fight Boba Fett. That's the hardest thing ever. But, you know, you can track down the game for under 20 bucks. Before the pandemic, you could get it for under $10, but now everyone's snapping it up. The game ended up selling nearly 3 million copies. So there's a lot of them out there. Though in comparison, Mario 64 sold almost 12 million copies and is the best-selling Nintendo 64 game. Also costs a lot more for some reason. It's almost like people love Mario and <laughs> don't love Star Wars as much, which actually makes sense. Anyway, that's my spiel on the video game. Check it out. It didn't age well, but damn it, I like it because it reminds me of being 11 years old. <laughs> Which is maybe something we could like say of, of everything about Shadows of the Empire, <laughs> probably. That's very fair. Yeah, that's very fair. Uh, oh, and also Limited Run did a re-release of Shadows of the Empire and a bunch of other Star Wars games a couple of years ago. And they did it on like the Star Wars Power of the Force cardstock. And it looks really effing cool. So um, if you want to spend too much money on that game, uh, those are out there <laughs> on eBay and such. All right. We talked book. We talked comic. We talked video game. This is going faster than I thought, actually. I had so many notes, I was afraid this was going to be a three-hour episode. So uh, <laughs> really glad it isn't. But uh, I think we got to talk merch. Yes. You can't have a Star Wars thing without a shitload of Star Wars merch. The first thing I want to talk about is the Shadows of the Empire soundtrack. Uh, ben, I know you owned it on CD. I own it on vinyl. Uh, I love it. I, I think it's wonderful. I like that they made a soundtrack to something that doesn't exist. I had read, and I can't find a source to corroborate this, that originally the Thrawn trilogy was going to have an album until the focus Ooh. was shifted to Shadows. Yeah, God, I mean, I, I wish they would... Uh, honestly, I, I wish they would have done done albums for for a lot of those kinds of books, and I, I think it's it's amazing that they did it for 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 Shadows. And, and the really incredible thing is that cd comes with a really thick booklet kind of like explaining you know things about the music like all these these notes and it's cool that a lot of thought was put into it i i kind of love the idea of a, a soundtrack to a, a a novel and i was i was just some you know obviously since there's you know battles and whatnot this is star wars there's some you know kind of loud epic music but I was listening to the Imperial City track this morning, which is a very uh, kind of like quiet and and mournful, and gives you the sense of like a fallen civilization. And it's a uh, there's some there's some cool stuff in there. And I, I guess like maybe the ideal Shadows experience would be like 
listen to the soundtrack while you're reading the book or <laughs> something yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, some of the music made it into the video game at least. But uh, the composer, Joel McNeely, said that he did the soundtrack independent of anything except the book. Essentially, it was a soundtrack to the book. So they just took some of those cues and threw them into the video game. Uh, I did go on a kind of deep dive of Joel McNeely because I didn't really know his name that well. I thought, surely he's done something else. Um, he was a protege of Jerry Goldsmith and had Ooh. worked with him on in different projects. And I won't get into it much, but I will say, if you don't know Jerry Goldsmith, he's famous for composing the music for some of the Star Trek movies, including the first one, Insurrection, Nemesis, a lot of the newer ones before J.J. Abrams took over. First Contact. First, first contact, contact, yes. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nemesis. Oh, I better not name him. <laughs> also, he did Disney's Mulan, uh, Ghost in the Darkness, Rudy, both Gremlins movies, Matinee, shout out to Joe Dante. Uh, he did Secret of Nim, which I just watched last weekend. Shout out to Don Bluth, easily my favorite animator. Maybe top five. <laughs> he also did Alien. And my favorite story is that he helped on Air Force One. Ooh. Uh, and, and I had to find a couple sources for this because Wikipedia said that that Jerry Goldsmith, with Joel McNeely's assistance, uh, basically scored the movie in 12 days. That's amazing. I, I listened to a podcast, and I'll put the podcast in the notes because it's pretty illuminating if you're – uh, a film score nerd. He really gets into it. And um, Joel McNeely seems like a pretty down-to-earth dude, and he's willing to talk about his work. And and he he doesn't... He he seems a lot different than, say, John Williams, who was so intense. And when John Williams talks about music, you kind of feel like you're talking to a magical being, and there's no way you'll understand what he means exactly. But Joel <laughs> McNeely kind of breaks it down in a way that I think is a little more um, approachable. But he said, um, or his story is, that Air Force One was scored by Randy Newman, and apparently the score was garbage. So I listened to a couple of the cue, uh, of the musical cues that were from the original soundtrack, and they're really, really busy. It doesn't seem very like classical music. It seems more like, like a pop person trying to dip their toe into composing. So um, if you want to, if you're really into Air Force One music, um, you can listen to the alternate soundtrack that got canned. But, I mean, they recorded it. That's how close they got to, to putting this thing out there. And then at the last minute, they had at the last minute they had Jerry Goldsmith come in. And, and the way that Joel McNeely talks about it, he says, sorry, this is an Air Force One soundtrack podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> but McNeely said they basically did the soundtrack in three weeks, which is absurd. And um, anyway, long story short, Joel McNeely was a protege of Jerry Goldsmith and has scored so many things. It's ridiculous. Um, if you look at his IMDb page, he's done like every Disney sequel that's ever happened. He also has done like the Tinkerbell series, which I think has like six movies. And did the North American version of Super Cop, a.k.a. Police Story 3, Ben. Uh, I know you got that criterion <laughs> recently. <laughs> Uh, and then he also composed Young Indiana Jones, which is the Lucasfilm connection, and also a few Seth MacFarlane shows, including the Orville. But uh, the the short, not fun version is John Williams and Joel McNeely were both repped by the same agency, 
and George Lucas met up with McNeely for Young Indiana Jones, and that's how he got involved with Lucasfilm. I since you brought up a, a Jerry Goldsmith, I just have to to mention this. Jerry Goldsmith said uh, one of my favorite quotes ever, and I'm going to mess it up, but it, it was something like this. He was talking about uh, writing music for Star Trek, and he said something like, Star Trek is how I get all those noble, romantic emotions out of my system. And I, <laughs> I thought that was great, because I thought, you know, like, that's probably, like, why why anyone wants to be involved w- with any kind of uh, space opera, you know? Because you, you get to... I mean, I feel like we all have, like like, huge, you know, kind of you know, giant feelings, you know, in, in our, in our, in our hearts that like, you can't just, uh, you know, convey in an ordinary day. And like, you know, that's, that, that's, that's the magic of this big scale storytelling is that you, you get that out there. You get those, you exercise those, those demons or, or you let those angels be seen. However you want to look at it. <laughs> I always like that. Well said. Yeah. I liked that a lot. Um, okay. Now that I bored half the audience with, uh, with <laughs> Joel McNeely talk, uh, let's talk some other merch. Um, the rollout yes. had a lot of stuff, and I, I don't want to talk about everything, but I will say there was a few really cool um, of-note things. Uh, there were a set of trading cards with art by the Hildebrandt brothers. Do you know those guys? No, no. They have kind of an interesting story. Um, that You've probably seen a lot of their art. They've done like Lord of the Rings art. They've done Star Wars art. Uh, okay. and they're twin brothers that basically do a lot of sci-fi and fantasy stuff. Um, and it's really detailed. And for the Star Wars trading cards, they had to get a little less detailed because they're, you know, a lot smaller. But um, look up the Hildebrandt Brothers Star War or uh, Hildebrandt Brothers Shadows of the Empire cards. They're pretty cool looking. And also another thing I don't need to collect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, Weston Games put out a Shadows of the Empire role-playing game. There was, uh, I talked about it earlier, but there are Micro Machines, which if you weren't a kid in the 90s, Micro Machines were generally tiny, tiny, tiny versions of like cars and tanks and ships and you know all that good stuff. And uh, if you look up the Micro Machines commercial, it's amazing. Yeah, look up uh, Micro Machines 1990 commercial. They have this uh, fast talker, uh, John something, <laughs> John Machida. And he, uh, to me, like, is, I still think about this guy talking fast. And, and I probably <laughs> saw the commercial when I was like, you know, five. Anyway, Micro Machines, huge part of of culture for a couple years. Uh, Also, there's a really scary Shizor mask. Ooh. (laughs) But obviously, the most important thing, as you know, Ben, is the action figures. And there were some really cool ones. (laughs) They basically did five action figures as part of the uh, Power of the Force line, which was fairly new at the time. Uh, Dash Rindar, Prince Shizor... Luke in an Imperial Guard disguise, Leia in her Bosch disguise, and like a really badass Chewbacca in Bounty Hunter disguise, which always kind of uh, was a bummer to me because it made Chewbacca look cooler, but we never got to see that in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, there was also two multi-packs. One was Vader versus Shizor, and the other that you talked about earlier, Boba Fett versus IG-88. My big regret is that there was a 
one of the concept artists on Revenge of the Sith did a design for a Wookiee Jedi, and apparently George <laughs> Lucas rejected it. And it's like, George, like, why would you deny that to us? And you were going to Kashyyyk, like, you could have had, like, a Wookiee Jedi, you know, working with Yoda or something. 100% I'm like... okay with not making everyone a Jedi. <laughs> Though there is an awful Fair lot of, of white men as Jedi. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, also, they released Slave 1, or re-released in this case. They did a swoop bike with Swoop Rider that you had. And I suspect that's worth a lot of money now compared to some of the other stuff. Uh, and then they did, of course, Dash Rindar's Outrider with rotating cockpits. It was so cool. That is definitely the one thing I am not allowing myself to buy on eBay right now. Because I think it would be so effing cool. <laughs> Um, that sounds amazing. So your homework for anyone listening is to go on YouTube after this episode and Google the Shadow of the Empire commercials uh, because they're works of art. They're incredible. Uh, it's got great narration by Mark Hamill, and I think that's the, as close as we'll get to a Shadows of the Empire movie in 30 seconds. You know, I'm glad I'm glad you, um, you brought up the Micro Machines because it reminded me, uh, when I was really young, I, I went to some... Uh, like a like rummage sale at a, at a church, and they had just a ton of Star Wars micro machines, and I got them all. And they're they're yes. somewhere in my house, but they were incredible. <laughs> like I they had, you know, a a, a tiny little executor star destroyer. Yeah, 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 just, yeah, yeah. So just amazing stuff. I love I love micro machines. Yeah, no, I'm a sucker for them. I definitely had a lot of them, and I'm pretty sure I still have like a Tie Fighter and a couple other random things. Um, very cool. But um, yeah, that that's basically Shadows of the Empire. A lot of merchandise, a book, video game with a couple iterations, and you know uh, a lot of hype around it. For me, I I'm really nostalgic, and I wanted to start season two with this one because my memory of all of it was so much more complimentary than it actually ended up being. Replaying Shadows of the Empire uh, was a slog. I enjoyed a few levels, but in all, it was kind of like homework. I know reading the book, uh, it was kind of the same way. It's it's interesting, but it's not incredible. And so a lot of the passages in that just are either laughable or a little boring. No shade to Steve Perry at all, because I, I think that we are getting kind of a... a rough draft version of the book and I think that had he had time he could have made it better or maybe not I don't know maybe I'm just projecting that but I will say regardless of the quality um, it still takes me back to a period of time I sort of see this as as the very tail end of like the pure Star Wars time before everybody hated George Lucas <laughs> you know, by by 1997, obviously even 96, we knew episode one was coming out. But 97 was when the special edition trilogy came out. 99 was when episode one came out, and it, I think just everything changed after this Shadows of the Empire period. So for me, I sort of look at it as before and after Shadows of the Empire. That's where I I split my Star Wars fandom. Yeah, I I think that's a a pretty fair way to to look at it, and I I think I mean yeah, as, as I've said, I think like you, Josh, you know, for all its flaws, I have you know affection for the whole Shadows of the Empire 
phenomenon. And, and it's interesting to kind of, you know, look back. And and I, I don't want to give the, the sequel trilogy, you know, too many kudos. Because, uh, I mean, I could talk about the problems with those movies all day. But I, I think, you know, going back into the expanded universe a bit, like, you know, does make me appreciate elements of the the sequel trilogy. Because for, for all those flaws, I, I feel like there was always, like, an emotional journey in, in the new films that was, you know, maybe not necessarily well thought out, but it was it was certainly thought out. Like, <laughs> you know, Force Awakens is the story of how, you know, Rey leaves home and begins her training. Last Jedi is, you know, the... Uh, the you know the story of how her you know belief in what it means to be a Jedi is is tested. Uh, Rise of Skywalker is her reckoning with her her lineage and uh, I, kind of looking back at the expanded universe, like I, I sort of wish they had dealt with more emotional issues like that, and as opposed to like what's a what's a new like Star Wars thing we can introduce that we can make a toy out of, you know? And <laughs> but then at, at the same time, I mean. Kind of going back to what we were saying, like, like I do think you know it was a, it was a better era that that era that ended in in 1996, basically, and I I do think there was there was more experimentation, there was a, there was more uh, freedom and 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 in some cases better ideas, and I uh, I look forward to discussing that in you know the the coming of coming seasons because I think there's a. There's just a lot of, you know, cool stuff to investigate. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, unlike the Shadows book, it does hold up when you go back to it. And there's a, a lot of fun to come back to. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the EU is. And I, I think I, I will say a couple things. One, I think that there are some creative Star Wars things still happening. Um, a new Thrawn trilogy um it's pretty recent, for instance, and I haven't read them yet, but I think I'm going to have to for this podcast. Um, and so I'm glad that kind of stuff is happening. But then again, maybe it's just finding a successful formula and exploiting it. I don't know. But ever since Disney bought Lucasfilm, <laughs> as most everybody knows, the EU has been downgraded to Legends. To which, to me, is sort of a slight to the fans that really grew up and love that. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean it can't still be as important to you, even if it's called something else. But uh, I think what's really cool is that you can still see the impact of a lot of this uh, EU stuff, whether it's Thrawn and the Mandalorian, or you hear about Terracossi being mentioned in Solo, or the swoop bikes, uh, you know, the Outrider in Moss Eisley. I, I think it's kind of cool that people making Star Wars stuff now were inspired by that stuff back then. And yeah. I think that the really good stuff will still prevail. And I think that's really cool. Totally. Yeah, I mean it's exciting that you know the people like like stay, you know, still care about this stuff and even though it's been consigned to legends continuity, it's not forgotten and we're even seeing some stuff kind of reintroduced into the the main continuity and you know it's great to see the kind of the the history of star wars and all the different parts of star wars uh respected and i i definitely look forward to seeing uh you know what directions that goes in me too 
Well, I think that's it for us. What do you think? Well, well. Oh. Uh, you're going to hate me, Josh. Oh, son of but a bitch. I, should we try and do like like our approximation of what like a Shadows of the Empire voice oh, no. might sound like? For the record, uh, I, I think we shouldn't because then it's going to be a dangerous precedent. But I suspect you prepared something, and I'd love to hear what you did. You, you know, I, I I actually I actually haven't prepared something, but I thought I'd you know make something uh, uh, up on the 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 fly. Yes, the location of a secret rebel base has come to my attention. I assumed you would want to know of this. <laughs> in my mind, he talks in this kind of like, a sort of like, zen-like, uh, uh, seductive, uh, almost monotone, I guess. So that's, I sort that's of, my attempt. That, no, that, that was my reading of him as well. I, I sort of think his character's voice is sort of like, like the book, it's just kind of cold and calculated. I, I when I was reading the opening, I sort of was thinking about it in that way. I think uh, it would be like he looks like a walking corpse. I give him a British accent because he's a bad guy. You see, <laughs> gotta have that British accent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we did it. I got past the voices section without really doing a voice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have, I have a really long list of sources I'd like to shout out because, um, there's some really cool information out there. If you're in the shadows of the empire, uh, obviously pick up the games, check out the book. The soundtrack is really, really good. But, uh, if you want a really good breakdown, um, I highly recommend checking out Mr. Sunday movies who has a Patreon and he really succinctly broke down shadows of the empire and even like hires animators to do little segments from the book and do a reading of it. So really cool. Uh, we'll put some uh, links in our notes. But you can support his work at patreon.com forward slash Mr. Sunday Movies. That's MR Sunday Movies. Also, Kyle Hillard's Game Informer retrospective from a couple of years ago um, talks about the production of Shadows of the Empire. And I think it's super illuminating. Highly recommended. Also, Secrets of the Shadows of the Empire is a really good, surprisingly dense book uh, by Mark Cadavaz, and you can get that used for pretty cheap. Um, so I recommend that if, if that intrigues you. It's got some cool concept art, and it, it really talks about every aspect of Shadows of the Empire from conception to release, or at least right before release. And uh, I think it's way more dense than it has any right to be. <laughs> and I like that. I, I appreciate that. You can find us on Twitter at Bespin Ice. I can be found at IamJosho85, as well as my new comedy podcast, Gingerbread Boys. Ben can be found on Twitter at T-H-O Bennett, two N's and two T's, as well as his podcast, Spidey Scenes. And also uh, listen to our Fast and the Furious retrospective podcast we did a couple of weeks back. That's also on the Spidey Scenes page. And, uh, yeah, we don't love Fast and Furious quite as much as Star Wars, but we, we do get into it, I think. We do. We really do. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you want to add, Ben? Sure, yeah. I'll, uh, I, I, I don't, uh, I, right now, um, as, we, uh, as we're recording this, I'm, I'm working on a review of uh, The Green Knight, uh, which stars uh, Dev Patel and Alicia Vikander. 
And also uh, prequel era Owen Lars himself, Joel Edgerton. Ooh. So uh, <laughs> check uh, check out Joel Edgerton in the the Green Knight. He's he's awesome. <laughs> he's much more awesome than his work as uh, Owen Lars would suggest. <laughs> Who, <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> yes. Well, that's it for uh, this month's episode. The Force will be with you always. <laughs>